but then if you go um, to Britain, the pronunciation is the foosh. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome to a brand new episode of the Rasafari Podcast. Y'all, I am really excited to bring you today's episode. It's something different, but also similar to many of the other episodes. So um, you'll hear more of the story about this in the actual episode, but uh, I was reached out to by a previous guest who is now part of the FUSA SSP, also known as the FASA SSP, also known as the Foosh SSP, but we'll get to that. And uh, it turns out that um, they're hoping to increase the number of facilities that are interested in housing uh, this incredible animal that no one's quite sure what to call. So they reached out to me, knowing that uh, a lot of people at a lot of zoos listen to the podcast, hoping to uh, spread the word about FUSA. And I am here for it because they are a really, really cool animal. So in this episode, you're going to get to hear all about this animal, about how the SSP works, all kinds of cool stuff. Um, you're also going to get to hear some stories from Naples Zoo and Blank Park Zoo. And this is our first time having Blank Park on the podcast. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, yeah, so um, it's a longer interview and it's a good one. We have a lot of fun and I always love it when we have more than one guest. There's, there's always a little more chaos. So uh, I'm not going to ramble too long here, but I do want to quickly remind you to hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and also to make sure that you uh, check out, you know, at Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook. Facebook and Twitter at Rossafari Pod on the TikTok machine. And uh, yeah, also I do have a Patreon. And for as little as $3 a month, you can uh, get some bonus audio from many of the interview episodes that we do, including this one. Patrons, you will have bonus audio waiting for you. So if you would like to hear that, go to patreon.com slash Rossafari. All right, I've said enough. Let's get to it. Without further ado, here is my interview with Elizabeth and Brittany of the FUSA, FASA, FUSH, SSP. All right, so why don't we start off um, by both of you telling me who you are, where you work, and what you do there. But we're going to start with Elizabeth because, you know, we have roots. She's a, a previous guest, so go ahead and say hi. Hello. Hi, my name is Elizabeth Johnson. Um, I am at the Naples Zoo. Since we last spoke, though, I have a new position. Um, I've moved on from carnivore supervisor to the professional development and records manager. Um, so I'm in the world of registrar and all things professional development right now. So Awesome. That's very cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Do you still get lots of animal time, though? Not as much, which, you know, to my dismay. Um, but I'm still very close with the keepers and they're constantly inviting me out. So that's nice. Good. That's awesome. And I have to tell you, um, I'm going to I'm going to make myself look bad uh, and embarrass myself <laughs> for the sake of my audience. Um, you know, those moments that you have when you're like you do something stupid and embarrassing in like fourth grade 
and they're still a thing that you think about before you go to sleep at night. You have become one of those for me. Oh, no. <laughs> and it wasn't anything from the actual episode. But I just remember I met a bunch of people at Naples. Y'all were great. Um, it, it, you know, folks, if you haven't listened to the, the, the episode from Naples yet, it's awesome. It's called Honey Badger Don't Care. Check it out. It's it's very cool. And I was still getting very used to the like, oh, we can go behind the scenes. Oh, you are like a person that we will treat special, which I still, you know, can't believe every time it happens. But I literally like back then, you know, you're like, oh, you want to go see our honey badgers? Cool. There's a training session. Let's go do it. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> and um, I just remember I met so many people, so many things. We did our interview and I looked at you and I always check spelling of names because you just never know. But I was like, OK, so how do you spell your name? And you gave me this look and you started to spell it. And it wasn't like a mean look. You were just like kind of confused. Like, why does he not know how to spell Elizabeth? And I think I typed it wrong. And I just saw you glance at my computer. And this is that thing where I know you don't oh, remember goodness. this. No, I had no clue. But you gave me a look for just the split second of like, who is this guy? And why does he think my name is Eliz Abethel? <laughs> Johnson. And I remember what it was because I had you in here as a Liz, a Bethel Johnson. And I saw your face and it registered what happened. And I just calmly closed my computer and died inside. I had no clue that even took place. I, I promise you, I probably didn't even recognize. There's probably some other random emotion showing on my face, like nervousness. And that is uh, when you reached out to, about doing this episode, I was literally like, oh, good. I guess she doesn't hate me. Even though I knew logically <laughs> you didn't, but I have literally thought about that like as I'm falling asleep occasionally. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, because I was so nervous to reach out to you because my social anxiety was like, oh my God, what if you like hated it here? And I'm going to ask him to do this podcast and I'm going to feel like an idiot. <laughs> it would be impossible to hate it at the Naples Zoo. I love it there so much. But uh, yes, but you are not the only person here as, as people who no. are paying attention and listening uh, can, can tell from some laughter. So why don't you introduce yourself? Oh, um, so my name is Brittany Beeler. I am a carnivore pinniped keeper at the Blank Park Zoo. I've been in the zoo field for about seven years, and I recently, as of this past summer, took over the FUSA species survival plan. That is so exciting. And that is why we are here. So um, I, I guess, you know, I, I, before we get to the individual stuff, oh, I hear a dog. I love dogs. Sorry, that's no, no, mine. <laughs> dogs are always allowed on the podcast. I'm actually surprised I, I haven't been invaded. Yeah, I have uh, three cats and two dogs, and every time I turn on a Zoom, they are like, "Oh, is it showtime?" So they'll always come up, or yeah, so they might appear in the video. So I'm sorry, animals about that. and children. I love always it. Right. Always good. Always good. It's an animal podcast. What, what's that <laughs> without an animal? So um, yeah, no, that that's awesome. Um, and I'm I'm excited to have you on here because I haven't had Blank Park Zoo on yet, but now I do, and that's always exciting. I'm like I'm collecting zoos. Um, but so um, uh, before we get to that side of everything, though, like what are we actually here to discuss today? Because y'all sent out an email to me that that really it was just cool. It was just there in the inbox, and it, it, we're here for something special today. Yeah, so um, our main goal, since Elizabeth and I have been working together on the FUSA SSP, we did the reimagining, and we are looking for more facilities to be housing FUSA and representing FUSA. So a lot of people might not know about them because they are a very unique species that isn't highly represented in AZA zoos. So we wanted to come on and kind of tell you about them, tell them 
tell the guests why they're awesome and um, just kind of highlight them as a species. So if a facility is looking for an exhibit to fill, especially an awesome Madagascar predator, we would love to fill that need and we'd love to build our base um, and reach out to people that are interested in FUSA or training FUSA. And we'd love to kind of build a bigger community around the FUSA SSP. That is awesome. And I am, I am very hopeful that people will, will hear and, and come calling because FUSA are incredible. Um, there's just, there's just no denying that. And we will get to them, but first let's get to you, Brittany. This is kind of the tradition here. You, you're on the pod for the first time. So we need to hear a little bit about who you are. What got you into animals? What was your history like? What brought you to Blank Park? Yeah. So, um, I probably have a pretty typical, um, going around doing internships, trying to get into it. I went to Ohio Wesleyan University and studied zoology. And then after, um, after graduating, I decided to just kind of on a whim intern in North America of, um, Columbus Zoo. So I just love native carnivores. So I was just like, this'll be, this'll be cool. And, um, so my first day there, I was just washing dishes, typical intern stuff. And then they were like, hey, do you want to help us medicate this geriatric grizzly bear? And I was like, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were able to give her Cosequin and yogurt on a spoon. And I was instantly like, I want to do this job. This is awesome. (laughs) Like, I'm in love with this bear. So um, from there, I kind of started seeking out internships. So I interned in North Carolina. And then I went to Texas and interned at Fossil Rim. And was able to get my first job up in Duluth, Minnesota at the Lake Superior Zoo and was a um, primary carnivore keeper there, moved out to Idaho Falls Zoo where I fell in love with FUSA. And then uh, my husband and I decided to move back to the Midwest and now we are at Blank Park Zoo So and working carnivore pinnipeds. So um, in that seven years, we have lived in a lot of places, <laughs> but that's kind of the zoo field in a nutshell, I feel, for a lot of people. <laughs> Definitely is. And um, you said that your husband... Is also works at the zoo? No. So he actually is a nurse. So um, he has one of those positions where he can move around with me and I can drag him around the U.S. and he can still get a job. Gotcha. No, that's great. That's great. Uh, I think you said we were at Blank Park Zoo just because, of course, I'm sure his heart is there as well. He comes more often than most people probably to hang out with um, seals and sea lions. So. So I, I have to tell you, we're recording this um, two days after I got back from Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and actually, I almost missed our podcast today <laughs> because uh, on, um, on, on the iPhone, if you add something in a time zone, it adjusts accordingly when you go back. So I looked at my – I knew we had our interview today, and I looked, and it said 1 p.m. because that's what 11 a.m. is in Phoenix right now. And I set my alarms for it and everything, and I woke up at like 10.20 this morning, and I was like, something feels off. And luckily, I thought of this and went back and read our email chain. Um, cause otherwise I would have just missed this, just slept through it. I was going back to sleep. Honestly, that's why my hair looks like it does right now. <laughs> I am not a morning person, but I tell you all of that to tell you this, which is that when I was in Phoenix, I got to go twice actually, um, to meet the sea lions at uh, wildlife world zoo. Oh, and, yes. um, the first time was, was me. And the second time they actually let my band come. And hang out. And those guys aren't like animal guys. They love animals, but like they don't like do the thing. None of them had met like big animals before or anything. It was two of the coolest experiences of my life. Um, Pinnipeds are incredible. You'll never be disappointed (laughs) hanging out with a seal or sea lion. They're just so interesting and unique. And um, 
Blank Park Zoo has an interesting kind of feel to it just because it is a big cat and pinniped position. So it's kind of unique in the field where it's not just pinnipeds. So a lot of us are coming into it, not ever working with them and then taking our training skills and able to adjust to working with pinnipeds. So it's been a really cool experience to be able to understand them because I've I've always been like, I'll never work with marine mammals. That's crazy. And now it's like, here we are. So <laughs> opening to new experiences is always super fun in this field. So no doubt. I love that so much. I also, I have to tell you though, like it, it's so funny. I am, um, and I, I say this obviously not, um, not seriously per se, but um, after doing that for two days, I feel like I could go be a pinniped trainer. Not that y'all aren't oh, super yeah. specialized in everything, but <laughs> just in the sense of the fact that they are they're, they're so trainable and they're so willing to work with you. And like one of the things that I did was um, the, the primary trainer for one of the, the sea lions, Crockett, you know, they do a thing where only the primary trainer works uh, behavior at first and then they get the rest of the team to, to um, you know, also start doing it. So then it becomes not just specialized to one person. And there were a few behaviors that that so far Crockett had only done for for, you know, this lead trainer. And um, they were like, well, let's let's try this. Let's have you doing them. And and Crockett took them from me. <laughs> and it was awesome to be like, oh, man, you could watch you could actually watch him figuring out like, oh, that's the same thing. I'm here with my main trainer. She told me to look at this guy now. Oh, I should do the thing. And at first he would like hesitate and then do it. And then by a couple times through, then he was just like, I could just have him do the things. Oh, that's it awesome. was the coolest. And I was like, I think I just want to quit my life and become a pinniped trainer now. <laughs> it was the best. I mean, you wouldn't be the first one that wants to do that. So <laughs> <laughs> that's real. I'm like, I'm not the world's greatest swimmer and I don't know how to scuba and I don't have a, an education in this, but um, will you guys hire me? And just is like a part time. Can yeah. I just help? Yeah. <laughs> Can I just like fly out to Phoenix once a week and do this? Is that oh is that gosh. possible? Will you guys pay for that? No. Why are you kicking me out of your zoo? <laughs> so, um, did you um, did you like when you were a kid? Kid, did you want to work with animals? Um, I always did. I always thought I'd take the vet path, and then um, in high school, we were able to watch an open heart surgery kind of thing, and I about passed out. And I was like, nope, <laughs> can't do vet stuff. Um, and I, I can do like, I can't do surgeries. I can do necropsies, but I can't do like, if there's pumping blood, I don't know. So, um, I just get woozy. So I decided after graduating, I was kind of like, I'm not going to be a zookeeper. Cause everybody says, Oh, zoology, are you going to be a zookeeper? And I was like, no. Um, so I, kind of did it on a whim and then I fell in love with it and I was like I'm a zookeeper and I love it so um yeah I always loved animals I trained dogs at 4-H when I was younger just always super into them um but falling in love with Ginger the grizzly bear at Columbus Zoo will always be my like origin story because she was awesome and she had an awesome personality so she's always going to be my favorite <laughs> oh i love that so much i love columbus i'm a, I'm a member there and, and get there as many times a year as i can it's just oh, it's an awesome zoo yeah. just wonderful yeah so um very cool uh tell me a little bit about blank park what what kind of stuff you know tell me about it yeah so it's a kind of a 
small, medium-sized zoo. Uh, We do have a lot of diversity in animals, but it is definitely one that you can probably walk around at a brisk pace at probably like an hour and a half. So it's definitely great for stroller moms. They love to be able to just take the kids through and then go to lunch. Um, We do have a few teams, which is something that I've never had before, which is super awesome. I've never worked on a team. I've always worked at small zoos where there's like eight people and it's like, cool, you do a little bit of everything. So um, our team has six people and we are awesome. I love all of them. They're great. Um, They're amazing trainers, amazing people. And um, we have a few other teams in the zoo that work with birds and large mammals. Um, We have an ambassador team as well as aquatics and small mammals. So um, that's a lot of diversity in the zoo. We do have red pandas, which are a big favorite of everybody. We do (laughs) have- My favorite animal. Oh my gosh. How could they not Look at my shirt. <laughs> I love that. It's a red panda face. Um, we do have um, black rhinos. We do have giraffes. We do have addicts. Um, of course, we have the seals and sea lions. We have lions and tigers. We have a lot of the bigger animals. We also have Australian animals, including a cassowary. Um, so we do have some bigger ticket animals, but I do feel like it's got that small zoo feel where it's like comfortable to walk around. And we're doing some capital campaign projects that. I'll just throw in just in case anyone's in the area and interested Um, because you always got to be promoting, right? Um, (laughs) We are trying to do filtration for our sea lion pool and then also building an Iowa native exhibits for our otter, um, eagles, and then an additional carnivore species that I don't know if has been released yet. So I won't say it on here, but is it an exciting one? I love them, nice. so I'm hoping so. <laughs> nice. Can you tell me what it rhymes with? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, that's very cool. Yeah, I really like Blank Park. I've been there twice, um, and I I love, you know, the the pandas get uh, the, you know, kind of pride of, of uh, I don't know how I'd say this, but like you walk in and it's like, boom, pandas. Yeah. You know? And um, I do remember, it's exactly what you said, though. It's like, it feels like a really small zoo. Like when you walk in, it feels like it is like you can see the whole zoo and you can't. Mm-hmm. And then as you start walking, all of a sudden you're like, wait, are these like lions and like a big lion exhibit oh okay and it just keeps expanding outward but yeah when you first get there i think like i remember thinking it had to be one of the smallest zoos like you know in elmwood park or or um something like that and uh it's it's not it's it's not huge but it's it's definitely a good sized zoo and um i i yeah i love it there uh a gift shop actually yes is incredible. It is um, it is really good. It's probably one of the best gift shops I've ever been to. They have weirdly, such cool stuff. Yeah. Weirdly, I have I have never made it out of there without buying stuff. Um I, I actually have a a red panda hat and shirt from there from the last time that I was there. Um yeah, just can't can't not. I love it so much. So that's yeah. that's very cool. Um and you know, I could go on all day about your zoo <laughs> because I love it, but um there's one thing I want to talk about from there before we move on. Okay. And and if I'm remembering incorrectly, just tell me. Um, but y'all have an exhibit outside your zoo, right? Yes, yeah, we do. Okay, I'm remembering correctly. I've <laughs> I go to so many of these, sometimes I'm like, am I remembering? But okay. So um talk to me about that and also what the purpose of that is. 
Um, so it is the camel exhibit outside of there. Um, the large mammal team works them and they also have a type of crane. I'm sorry, I can't be more specific just because they're not on my team specifically. Um, but the big draw for that was that we had the space to be able to give them a lot of opportunity to exhibit natural behaviors, as well as it's kind of a welcoming thing into the zoo where you're like, oh, as soon as you come in, you turn to the right and you're like, oh, there's camels there. Um, there's also a playground there too that is um ex kind of on the exterior of the zoo so you don't have to necessarily go to the zoo to enjoy the playground or see the camels which i think is really cool so it gives people an opportunity that if they you know can't afford to go to the zoo that day they can at least see something cool and go to the playground or if you know they're waiting on their kids field trip to be done they can at least look at something awesome so um that's a really cool little extra exhibit it has a you know, pavilion for picnics and stuff like that too. So it kind of um, is a nice place for people to take a break, relax, watch these funny camels do their daily stuff and um, just really be able to engage with the zoo without necessarily being inside of the zoo. Yeah, I I love it. I uh, the first time I, I came there, I was on tour and um, you know tour bus, so took an Uber to the <laughs> zoo. I call them my Zubers, and um, I literally was like like one of those you know dudes in like a bad action movie. I'm like, stop the car, let, let me off here. And the guy's like, what? And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, you're fine. You can still drive up, whatever. Like, I just just I just I want to look at camels. And yeah, he's like, right. okay. And I did that, and then I was like, oh, now I have to walk to the main zoo, which was not far, but I was just like. That was silly of me, but I got very excited. I had not seen animals for a moment other than like, you know, cats and dogs at like stores. And uh, it was an immediate like, stop the car. (laughs) Oh, boy. So, yeah. So awesome. Um, Thank you for that little primer on Blank Park. And hopefully the next time I get back, we could we could do maybe a real episode from there. uh, Oh, that would be awesome. I I love that zoo. It's a really cool place. (laughs) Um, I can't tell you just being on the road in general. You know, I love what I do. I love playing music. I love all that stuff. But um, it's it's the zoos that have kept me sane over multi years of spending, you know, more than half my year every year on the road touring and and being in places and and yeah, it's it's the animals and the keepers and the zoos and and Blank Park has served that role a couple of times and Naples has served that role multiple times because I am in Florida all the time. Um, <laughs> there have been a couple of years that I know I started in Florida and and spent many more nights in Florida than in in my home bed until you know April, May, June. It's it's crazy. Um, so yeah, so thank you you both for for everything y'all do. Um, and now let's let's pivot to the SSP a little bit. So. Listeners of the podcast have an idea of what an SSP is. We've had Sarah Glass on talking about the Red Panda SSP and such, but that was all, frankly, a while ago. So I think what I want to start off with is like, you know, I have a lot of new listeners. Let's start at the beginning and explain what exactly just an SSP is and how this works. And um, Elizabeth, let's have you do that because uh, Brittany's currently being invaded by a dog, which is amazing (laughs) to see. So. Uh, okay, great. Yeah, it's challenging because they actually, the beginning of January, changed SSP programs like exponentially. They're just completely different. The I know, it's they- so different. And now some of the, the programs are only going to be safe programs, but are still in charge of breeding. I, I was at the conference um, in Baltimore, and it was shocking to me how much this is changing. Yeah, I think the reasons behind the change stemmed from trying to have zoos focus their resources on species that were going to be able to be maintained in zoos for a long period of time. There's like 
I don't want to misquote the number, but I think there's 500 plus SSPs under like the old program structure. And all of those species require a certain amount of resources, not only from zoos, but like from AZA and the um, Population Management Center to kind of like control those populations and look forward into the future and make sure that we're like giving them like their due justice. And so I think AZA kind of recognized that they needed to take a step back and maybe focus on those species that were going to have the best shot at being maintained long-term as like a population with like breeding and transfer plants and stuff like that. So they reimagined it. And last year, all of the current SSPs had to go through this reimagination process, which Brittany mentioned earlier. And we basically submitted um, kind of like, it was like pleading your case almost (laughs) to AZA. They had um, a scoring system and they, there was a, a way for them to kind of like quantify what direction your program would go. Um, but they um, had all the SSPs go through this reimagination process and you basically were kind of um, saying like what the future of your program looked like if there were facilities interested, you know, what currently um, did you have in terms of numbers and how many current facilities did you have and, and you know, what were the problems your SF- SSP was facing that would like challenge sustainability. So reimagination process takes place. And recently now I've noticed, I know the small corner of our tag just um, sent out an email basically saying these are the programs and these are their new designations. Um, I also am the SSP coordinator for Western Tufted Deer. So the ungulate tag is still trying to like finish up that process. I don't know what's going to go on with Tufted Deer, but I think we will kind of be included in the program. Um, And then I've seen like the canid and hyena tag recently posted what their programs will be moving forward. So that's kind of like the process that AZA is in right now. That's a very long-winded explanation. <laughs> no, that's great, though, because honestly, that's that's the first time that uh, a lot of my listeners are hearing ever, uh, you know, on, I, on my Zoo News episodes, I'm always like, you know, oh, yeah, this was, they're looking this over right now. But it's cool to hear some insider about what's actually happening. So that's, yeah. that's cool. Um <clears throat> What gets you both involved? Like, why why are you involved in SSPs? And why are you involved in FUSA and Tufted Deer? And, and Brittany, are you just dedicated to the FUSA or, or are you on other things as well? How does that all work? Um, I am just a FUSA gal right now. Um, I am relatively younger in the field to be working in SSP. So um, this will be my first experience doing it. I I guess I do technically work with the Kinkachu SSP2 as their education advisor, but um, that one I have less of an impact in like breeding or transfers or anything like that. I mostly am working on their animal ambassador guidelines that we're hopefully putting out this year. Um, (laughs) It's been a process. So I just work with those two. I love the small carnivore tag. I think it's got such great diversity. So um, I kind of always wanted to be involved somehow more than just as a keeper or more as a curator or more as a, you know, just a trainer. I always wanted to be more on a forefront of promoting conservation or promoting um, that kind of mentality in zoos. So I just always looked for that opportunity. I started my Kinkachu um, journey, I guess, in um, 2018. So it was after being a keeper for two years, I joined that SSP and that has grown of um, having a vice coordinator and us building in a lot more things. And it's more of just like, hey, I'm interested. Do you need help? And she's like, yeah. So <laughs> kind of fell into that. And then um, 
with working with the animal ambassador guidelines, I worked with Mandy, who was the previous um, SSP coordinator of FUSA, and um, talking with her and just expressing my interest. I had applied for it and ended up in this position, which is super awesome, but I'm also big on group learning and group like involvement. I definitely don't think that I know everything. Um, I will never claim to know everything about FUSA. I love to use our community to be able to branch out and really use other people's experiences to build a better community for a species. So um, that's kind of where I'm at with the FUSA SSP. It was kind of like a pipe dream. And then I got it and I was like, oh my God. And then I was like, Elizabeth, we're going to do such great things. Brittany and I have been brainstorming a lot on like, because with these new like reimagination and like designations, there's a little bit of pressure. Like you kind of have to maintain a certain status with your population in order to like have, you know, um, the population management center help you with like your breeding and transfer plans and to like keep them as an SSP, like designate SSP. So Brittany and I are like, Okay, so how, you know, our population's been in decline a little bit um, the past couple of years. You know, we haven't had many, if any, births, um, if I'm remembering correctly off the top of my for head. For five years, yeah. Yeah, Holy for five cow, years. So, like, that's rough. Yeah, so if we want the population to grow, we're like, okay, we need people to, like, love FUSA and, like, advocate for them at their zoo, which is, like, how the genesis of this, genesis of this whole conversation came about. <laughs> Well, I love that. And um, yeah, so let's 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 dig in. Let's talk about FUSA. Um, I have a, a FUSA who, who I, I used to know. Um, I, I believe that uh, that he's no longer there. But um, at the Philadelphia Zoo, uh, right next to the Red Panda exhibits uh, was Rico the the fusa and um obviously i spent a slightly um elevated amount of time with the red pandas and as such i would keep bopping over and seeing rico and he's such a good boy and he would sleep in his little hammock but then shoot all around the exhibit and um i just i just loved him so much and and you know um i was so bummed when i found out that he was transferring i get it i know how ssps work it's all good but it was just like oh this is this he's part of my happy space darn it now i'll just have to spend more time with the pandas um, you were fusa adjacent for yes, a long time exactly um and just have so many cute little pictures of his little face but for people who don't know why don't we start off with a real quick primer on like what a fusa is and why are we saying fusa not fossil are both acceptable because it's spelled F-O-S-S-A. Like if you are a true FUSA virgin right now, y'all, it's the animal that you see at some zoos, (laughs) F-O-S-S-A. And all right, take it from there. Yeah, so um, I actually like did notes on this because it is such a weird thing. Um, Nerd! (laughs) I know. I overly prepared for this. Um, So (laughs) saying FUSA is not wrong, even though it looks wrong. So it's basically a dialect thing as to how you want to talk about the species. So um, FUSA is often also pronounced in the Malangasi way, just because of the way that they use their pronunciations. Um, FASA is also a totally acceptable way to say it. That's more of the um, American way to say it, even though we've all kind of adopted the FUSA just because of the Madagascar movie, we can connect with our guests and really connect them to that. But then if you go um, 
to Britain, the pronunciation is the foosh, like with an H. <laughs> nice. So um, it is it is not wrong, however you want to say it, as long as you are leading to, you know, fusa, foosh, fossa. Um, so it's really more of a dialect thing and more of how you want to remember it. <laughs> so um, no way is wrong. It's just, it sounds wrong for us um, grammar wise. <laughs> well, I'm clearly adapting foosh now just so I can stand at these exhibits and be like, actually, it's a foosh. <laughs> that's so, awesome. Yeah, it really All just right. depends on how you want to do it. So yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. And so, so tell me things, tell me like, like, again, I have listeners who have probably never seen a foosh. So, uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's dive in, describe and explain. Yeah. Um, I can totally jump on since I'm a nerd and took notes if you want. Um, <laughs> you know, when, um, the, when the host of an animal podcast is calling you a nerd, you know that you're like next level nerd. I'm just oh, saying. I've never claimed to be anything else. I will full go that I It's am, a compliment. Yes, it I mean, is. Yes, yeah. it really I'm is, obsessed yeah. with them. So I get it. Um, <clears throat> so um, this is a Madagascar carnivore. It is the largest and um, most prehistoric origin of the pre of the Madagascar carnivores um it is kind of in the civet group but it is um it's in its own genus um <laughs> i even wrote down the actual genus name and like what it means in latin and it's i don't know if it's um appropriate for a podcast it is nerd out no nerd out come on it's a good I, story it's funny i, I know yeah. you listen to this stuff inappropriate is good nerdy is good all of this is good i'm very excited hit me um, so it's a cryptoprocta for, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, I know so, I said I'm editing, but I'm totally leaving in you laughing on that one. Just so you know. It's just, um, okay. Whoosh. All right. Got it. Uh, cryptoprocta for ox, um, which means hidden anus fierce. Yes! <laughs> so <laughs> how does every zoo not have a hidden anus fierce in it? Come I know. On. And the fact that fierce and wild is at the end is just like, what are we doing? Um, so, <laughs> and it's a really cool sounding name, but it just got such a weird translation. So um, that's the scientific name for FUSA. And it's because of just the way that they mark and the way that their anus is, is it's hidden. So <laughs> it's kind of odd. Okay. What, do, um, what does that mean though? Like all joking aside, and trust me, I could um, laugh about this all day, but, but what does that, how is it a hidden anus? <laughs> So it's kind of like more, I guess I wouldn't say like, I don't know, Elizabeth, can you help me out with like <laughs> explanation? You guys are both laughing so hard and are so red right now. I'm so entertained. <laughs> I don't know how I would describe that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like lost for words. It's it's just kind of like if you're looking at the back of a FUSA, it's kind of more... I guess like indented in and then it can like protrude more during like breeding or protrude more during um like scent marking and stuff but um yeah I don't know if there's a better way to No that actually it. makes I can totally picture that so it literally is like a thing that they need to stick out a little bit to do stuff with is what you're yeah, saying Yeah but it can like go back in Yeah that's fascinating <laughs> that's I mean honestly mark. that's really cool Yeah they do set mark a lot our fusa every time we would put her back onto exhibit from her den after being shifted for cleaning would go to her favorite spots and almost do like this pole dance. <laughs> it's very dramatic. <laughs> yes. 
I mean, if we're going to be honest. <laughs> and we have lots of videos of her doing it because it is very dramatic. And they're just yes. scenting and she's going up and down and they're just, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so far, (laughs) we have established that we have a Malagasy predator with a hidden anus who is into pole dancing. Who doesn't want that at their zoo? I mean, if we haven't sold it already, I don't don't know. (laughs) I swear there's some better things that we can promote them with, but that's just the very basis of if you take away anything about them, they are pole dancing hidden anus. Yeah. Madagascar carnivores. I love it. I love it. That's so good. It's so good. So, okay. So, um, now that we've ruined FUSA for everyone, no. Um, (laughs) but seriously, so like, okay, so they look like as a, a non pro, um, they kind of have cat faces, like tiny little cat faces and kind of almost like otter bodies, but they're not like water animals, but they move around like, like otters only on like tree branches i don't know that's the best way i can describe it like they move like an otter in the water but not on the water um can anyone make this sound any better than what i just said um yeah so (laughs) she's like yes i can (laughs) (laughs) she's like literally anybody could john literally anybody (laughs) since you know i have to redeem myself with the scientific name i will throw my hat in for this one um so they have a long extended body. It's about um, two and a half feet on average, but then their tail gives them about a six foot length. So their tail is very, very long. And this actually helps them with how they hunt, where they are going to be hunting not only on land, but um, up in the trees. So they are terrestrial and arboreal, but that long body and that long tail acts um, as a balance weight for them. They also have semi-retractable claws, which they can grip onto the trees and really move throughout them without falling. And even their um, little pups that are learning can actually hold onto the trees pretty well. Um, But these animals are going to be mostly known for hunting lemurs, which are going to be a difficult prey to hunt on the ground. So um, they are going to be out there kind of climbing up trees and, um, that's what also makes them so unique is they're very fast. They are very um, agile. And when it comes to enrichment or diet, they are super fun to engage with and super fun to watch. But um, yeah, I'll let Elizabeth talk about hers a little bit more too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the bone structure of like their wrists when they're, they're they're super agile, especially being able to go like upright on a tree or down the tree. Um, I remember the- that because they can go down face first, right? They do the red ankles. panda thing. When I when I like first started like learning about pandas, one of the first things I learned about them is that they go down face first and that that's really rare. And then I found out that Foosh do it as well. And I was like, oh, OK, cool. That's awesome. And then I was like, oh, Philly Zoo, do you guys do these guys next to each other? Because they can both climb down. And the keeper looked at me like I was nuts. But um, <laughs> turns out that was not the reason they, they did it that way. But um, I do find that really fat because that is really rare in the animal kingdom. Yeah, their anatomy is really cool. And that's what gives them, like what Brittany was saying, like they're so, like they're acrobatic. Like they're able to just bounce around these trees and hunt down lemurs and like, you know, be super fast about it. Like the, the anatomy definitely plays a huge role in that. Oh. Very cool. Well, um, let's let's talk about some individuals. Uh, tell me about some some foosh. I'm just, I'm so into saying foosh. I apologize. It's just so cool. But <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> t- tell me about some fossa, fusa, or foosh that um, y'all, you know, know or, or have had at your facilities or worked with or just uh, loved with. And get into like individual personalities because personalities really sell, you know, the animal to, <laughs> to facilities and to guests. 
Yeah. Um, so my current facility in the master plan, we are trying to work in FUSA. So um, right now I do not work with them at my current facility, which is very sad, but um, I can tell you about my um, little lovely FUSA that I worked with at my previous zoo, which was Idaho Falls Zoo. Her name is Shiloh. Um, she really... I've always loved small carnivores, but this little girl's personality, I was like, I'm in love with you. And I would maybe risk taking you into my house. (laughs) Not actually, but not actually. I was just going to say, yeah, Yeah, not really. Nope. 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 She would tear me up. Um, So I think the best thing that I figured about FUSA personality is they are just, they're top predators in their area. So they are not afraid of like anything. They are, they kind of got that honey badger mentality really. Um, so anything like she is willing to explore, like she is down to like try anything out. It's never like a, Oh, I put something new. Oh, I'm going to be afraid of it for a while. Um, it's kind of funny cause I work with Amur tigers and you put a new thing out in their environment and they're just like, Oh my gosh, it's going to kill me. And uh, this little Fusa is like, yeah, I'll take that. Let me add it. <laughs> exactly. Um, and just the way that they are very opportunistic carnivores. So they will, their main prey item is known to be lemurs, but they are pretty opportunistic. They will eat bird species. They will eat mice. They will eat fish. Like they are kind of all over the place. So they are really fun to enrich because you can give them those different opportunities and they are just like, ready for anything as well as the, I mean, just the abilities, like we mentioned before, they're very acrobatic. They're very good at climbing. They are very comfortable just laying on logs, which is one of the cutest poses that I've ever seen with them. Um, but just the willingness to train the willingness to engage. I just, they're just so fun. And the fact that they're only like 20 pounds, but they have this like big personality, I think is just amazing. And I kind of fell in love with her just because she is willing to do anything. She's willing to try anything. She's like super outgoing. And I'm like, man, I just wish I was like that. Like <laughs> I wish I, I had this personality like this Fusa, but, and she's just so weird looking to most people. And it's just a really interesting way to talk about evolutions and how, um, endemic species can shape the way that they grow and evolve based on their areas of expertise, which she's an awesome representation of how evolution has really gotten it right for hunting. So that's kind of, I love the educational aspects of FUSA as well. Nice. Um, Are they protected free? What kind of contact are they? So they are protected contact because they will tear you up. (laughs) Okay, very good. They have the feel of a cougar. They would would totally just take you down. I mean, 20 pounds of just pure mighty force. (laughs) Amazing. I love that. And Elizabeth, tell me about a FUSA. So the first time I started working with FUSA was in Naples in like 2011, probably. We had a breeding pair um, and she did have babies. She had like four of them, which is a lot. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and as a first time mom, I think she was probably overwhelmed. So she kept kicking two out of the nest box. And ultimately after a, a good amount of time, we gathered those two and we're like, okay, we'll just, we'll just hand raise them. Um, so mom was a race two. Um, in fact, I know of at least that is one of them that is still alive in the population, which is cool. Um, and then the two that we hand reared, which was quite an experience. Um, I'm really glad that I got to be a part of that because it's not common. Um, they were like, baby foods are like little spitfires. Like they, from like day one <laughs> were like, 
practically like full grown adult fusas, like behavior re- repertoire and everything, like the jumping from like, you know, one keeper to the other after eating from like one branch to the next branch. Like it, it is amazing that you've got this months old little thing that is about maybe, um, what I would say size wise, I can't tell you weight, but of a kitten, it was the size of a kitten. And they are jumping like five, six, seven feet in length, like from one branch to another. Like it, it just blew our minds because I don't know what we were expecting, but I don't think we were expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so those FUSA, um, the ones we hand reared, ended up staying here at Naples Zoo. Um, their mom and dad uh, went off to other zoos within the population. And um, we had the sister and brother pair here for a while. Um, the male, the brother, unfortunately passed away a number of years ago, probably in like 2015 or so. And so then we had Duffy, which was the sister, um, until about this time last year. And I, just like like Brittany was saying, they are just so like, <laughs> it's so hard to put them into words. Like they're very smart. They are very strong. They're very motivated to like train. Um, Duffy just was like a constant source of like entertainment for our guests because any piece of enrichment that we gave to her, no matter the challenge level, she was going to figure out and she would, she would spend like half an hour, like minutes at a time trying to either get into like a puzzle feeder or if it was hanging from a branch or hanging from somewhere in their enclosure, she would literally be hanging off of it herself, like trying to, you know, get it down from the branch or to get into it or like bust it open, um, it just, it was amazing to see like her tenacity. Like she just was not going to give up until she was able to like get what she wanted, which I think is a pretty endearing quality of Fusa. So <laughs> That's awesome. And Duffy, I guess, is who I saw when I was Duffy, there with yep. you back in 2021. I actually have a really great picture of Duffy um, from just, we were just walking, um, you know, kind of, she was, she was like napping in her little, I don't know, hideaway type place that was really only visible on the the behind the scenes side. Mm-hmm. And she just looked up and I snapped a quick pic and it's just a, one of my yeah. favorite pictures I've ever taken of a FUSA. That's yeah. awesome. She was a staff favorite. We loved her. <laughs> <laughs> we still love her and talk about her. And I know her keepers very much miss her. Um, because she was a rock star. Like she had a whole repertoire of behaviors that she was trained to do. We could draw blood from her tail. Um, we were able to voluntarily vaccinate her, um, which was awesome. Like, like just, you know, she, she made our lives like less stressful when it came to like those like medical behaviors and like things you're trying to do with animals where you get really stressed out. Um, she was like, nope, I'll participate here. Here you go. You need to vaccinate me. That's fine. So she was just very like, she was a good fusa. That's awesome. Um, and, you know, I can't help but notice. So right now, y- y- y'all are like the SSP people for FUSA. And you're here pitching that everyone should have FUSA. And y'all don't have any FUSA. What's going on? That's very confusing. No, but seriously, I-, I do think it's cool that y'all are so passionate that you're working the SSP, even though you don't actively have any FUSH right now. But um, what um, what's the, you know, is is there a plan? And, and um you know, what is the population like out there right now? I know that you're here to encourage more people and more zoos to to take them. So, but what, what what's that current situation? Yeah. So right now we have about 20 facilities representing 
FUSA. And um, our goal is to just stay over 15 with the reimagining just so that we can stay as an SSP. Um, We also just want to help out our friends over in Europe who are a little oversaturated with their breeding of FUSA. Um, So we have the opportunity to actually um, transport FUSA from Europe over to our population for new genetics, which is something that's pretty unique. Um, We are super excited about those potentials. We just need places to house them. So... (laughs) Um, that's kind of why we're looking for other facilities to really step up and want to try out the species. Um, we are encouraging at our own, but we can only do so much just like, um, (laughs) typical. (laughs) So, um, as much as I've went to our animal care director and I'm like, they're awesome. You need them. He's like, yeah, well in like five years. So, (laughs) so, um, we're definitely pushing on our fronts, but we'd love to connect to other people and, um, connect other zoos and really just kind of highlight what an awesome species they are. I did want to add in, um, that, With a lot of carnivores, they do sleep a lot during the day and they're not as active, but these guys are kind of the exception because they're actually um, cathemeral, which I'm pronouncing that correct because I wrote it out phonetically (laughs) Um, because I'm a nerd. Got it. (laughs) Um, So they actually, it was thought that they were... um, going to be awake during dawn and dusk which is crepuscular but um or crepuscular sorry i always struggle with that word no i i crepuscular is such a hard word to say i have literally had to like edit myself five times because it's yeah no i'm with you (laughs) um so they realize that they are just through a 24-hour period they are up at random times they are napping throughout the day but they are going to be active and engaging more often than a lot of those bigger carnivores so just like elizabeth said you're going to be you know they'll be napping and then they'll just be right up and they'll be playing with stuff especially if you're doing training sessions enrichment they're highly motivated for food you can do those really unique and really um highly involved behaviors with them like the blood draws like the injections um we also recommend doing voluntary ultrasounds and doing eye drops so it's just like you can have such a wide variety of behaviors as well as not taking up as much space or not being as dangerous. I will say as dangerous in quotes, because like I said, they will tear you up (laughs) as um, having big cats. So they're definitely a cool exhibit as well as it's a nice um, like lemur and FUSA dichotomy is just kind of seeing them next to each other to be able to talk about the awesome ways that both of them move, that both of them live, the way that they've both influenced each other's evolution. So they are a really cool species for that. But, um, yeah, they're just, they're so awesome and they're awake all the time, which is great. <laughs> no, that is, that's a really um, big deal. Um, yeah. And I'm, very engaging with guests. So <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I, I have, I have experienced that and I love it so very much. They are really cool. Um, and then, you know, so since so many zoos have lemurs, they're such a common animal in zoos now. I also think that's cool. Cause then you just have a food supply right there for, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> But, I mean, 50% of their diet is lemurs. <laughs> I was going to say, so since, since you've been talking about how they eat lemurs, and I know that's not what we do in captivity, um, but so what, what kind of diet do they have? And also, what's their lifespan like? Like, give me some details where if somebody's listening to this and considering bringing them to a zoo, you know, what? tell me about some of that stuff. Yeah, I'll um, let Elizabeth, because I feel like I'm talking too much. (laughs) No, you're not at all. (laughs) Um, Diet is pretty similar to a lot of other carnivore species that live at zoos. Um, They're carnivores. um, So they're eating meat. Um, I know here at the zoo, (laughs) here at the zoo, 
at Naples Zoo, we fed ours um, like Nebraska ground meat product, which is pretty common at most uh, facilities. Um, we, they, she got a little bit of that every single day. She got whole prey items. Um, uh, and then Ooh, what, also, what would you do for whole prey? Um, we at the zoo here and with her, we always use um, like day old chicks or we use um, a variety of sizes of rodents or either mice or rats. Um, we have quail that we feed out sometimes to our carnivores. Nice. We also do rabbits. <laughs> okay, very cool. So, yeah, there's a wide variety of like whole prey items that she could take. Some of them she might get on a weekly basis, but then some of them were just built into like a monthly um, sort of like schedule. Uh, but yeah, so it, the feeding is not very challenging. I mean, that's very <laughs> generic, easy to obtain stuff. It's not like yeah. produce. You don't have to like <laughs> uh, chop it up, like <laughs> just put it together and bam, there you go. Um, so the diet is great. Um, actually speaking of lemurs, cause I was just in my head like, oh yeah, they eat lemurs 50% of the time. We exhibited ours next to lemurs, um, which was a really cool way to like educate our guests kind of like in a snapshot about Madagascar. Like you've got the predator and then you've got the prey and, um, people would ask us all the time, oh my gosh, but like Fusa eat the lemurs. Can she see the lemurs? Do the lemurs know that like that's their predator and she's going to get them like we had no negative effects from inter- from exhibiting them next to each other. They seemed fine. Uh, she could see the lemurs and they would sit up there and stare at each other like all the time at the top of the exhibit where they could see. Um, but uh, we never observed any stress behaviors coming from either species. So, good, so good. it is possible if you've got lots of lemurs in your collection, you can exhibit Fusa pretty nearby and it's fine. Um, and then... What was the other part of the question was how like, to like, bring them? No, like lifespan and like you oh, know, other basic things that like a facility would need to know. I'm trying to save someone a Google. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they can actually live like 20, 20, high 20s. Brittany, do you remember the oldest one? Um, right now, our oldest one is 24. Um, yeah. But typical average is like late teens, early 20s, similar to big cats. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a pretty similar i feel like to a lot of carnivore species or a lot of like even like um other zoo species you're gonna get a good couple decades yeah no that's great i mean that's (laughs) that's really good that's that's awesome um how are they from a veterinary standpoint are you know do do vets like them are they pretty i know you said you can train them for for medical behavior so that's good yes uh Brittany actually can probably speak to recently the stuff that the ssp has prime trying to focus on from a vet point of view Yeah. um, It's kind of funny. Our vet advisor, um, she's at the Smithsonian. She actually has been doing a lot of research on FUSA just because they are kind of an, I will say newer animal to zoo populations. They're definitely not brand new by any means, but they are very unique. Um, One of the big things that you'll see... That was my Sorry. alarm for our interview going off at one o'clock because I, I, I'm an idiot. I was like, there's a cruise ship in your house. I, know. The, the I was one. like, oh, should I stop? No, the, the, and I'm leaving that Done. in. I don't care. Because again, this is, this is what happens when your calendar is confused. So yeah, I thought we were having an interview in an hour. No, that's totally Sorry. fine. You're ahead of the game. It's almost done. It's almost done. Um, yeah, so they are very highly trainable, just like Elizabeth mentioned. Um, you can do a lot lot of voluntary stuff with them, which is always good because um, as much as knockdowns are necessary, we always like to be able to do as many medical things with their voluntary participation just because it's easier on us. You don't have to worry about anesthesia. It's always dangerous regardless of if it's human or pe- human or people, um, human <laughs> or animal. <laughs> 
you know, the other kind of people. Um. <laughs> they are, though. No, that's actually, like, that's a real thing. Um, my, yeah. my wife is a vet, and, and I one day she was talking about people, and I looked at her funny, and she's like, animals are people. Also, humans are animals. That's an, But she's like, yeah. and so I've started using that term where she kind of explained it to me, and like, the word people doesn't just include humans. So yeah, I, I so. will stand by that. I will, yeah, that, that's good. That, that was a good one. My slip of the tongue is making a... It's a learning moment for everybody. (laughs) Yes, it's learning for everyone. So um, the research that we've been kind of doing with our vet advisor has been more about um, kind of trying to see how we can prevent early spaying of FUSA because they have a very weird, I will say weird just because it is uncommon, but it's not bad, I guess, not bad weird, but um, they actually get um, seasonal alopecia. So that's the hair loss around their flanks area. And that is very common in females. And it is in conjunction with an enlarged kind of um, thicker lining of the uterus that kind of is almost getting ready during their heat season. So um, often you'll sometimes get lethargy with that as well, or just kind of off behavior just because they're kind of going through a lot of hormone stuff. So um, in some facilities, it's been concerning because you're not seeing this super energetic, crazy FUSA for a minute. So um, we will have them doing a knockdown or doing ultrasounds and they'll see this enlarged uterus. And for most species, that would indicate something very negative. But for FUSA, it's actually completely natural. So um, we're getting accidental premature spaying that um, may not have been necessary if we had all the information. So um, one thing that we're really pushing for is voluntary ultrasounds and trying to track that uterine growth. And that's a really cool opportunity for keepers, really cool opportunity for vets to take part in. So um, very unique there. Otherwise, besides that, they don't have a ton of known illnesses that I would say that they're like ramp it through the population. We have seen that some will later in life developed like cataract symptoms and things like that. So that's why voluntary eye drops at an early age can be really nice. Even if you're just doing saline that way, if those problems do arise, you've already got the training in and you can start kind of being proactive about that. But otherwise I haven't heard anything else that we've seen. Um, we do have those, you know, weird FUSA that get something and you're kind of like, oh, is that going to continue? And then it's like, no, it's just him. So it's like, okay, cool. Like, <laughs> But otherwise, they're pretty easy to manage, pretty easy to for vet care. I mean, with the voluntary aspect, it's so much nicer. And you can really highlight those behaviors for your guests or behind the scenes. They are very interactive with people, as I mentioned before, but you can also really highlight those advances in husbandry and management that we're pushing in zoos in the current day to your guests or to, um, you know, even other staff. Yeah, we used to do a lot of our training on exhibit, which was great because inevitably you have that guest come up who's standing there and watching you what you're doing. And then they're going to ask you a million questions, which is a nice opportunity to like then be able to educate them on not only what you're doing, like training and how it's important, but FUSA. So, and the FUSA was, wasn't bothered by all that like extra activity going around while they were training. So that was cool. Great. That's really cool. That That is great for messaging and is very important. And I actually think, um, you know, Madagascar is such an important place and is so unique. Um, and I think it's cool. A lot of zoos do a great job talking about Madagascar, but I think that they've done it in such a way where now people think that Madagascar is an island with a bunch of lemurs running around on it. And that's it. 
and don't understand that there are like cities and like human populations and other animals and things that eat the lemurs and, you know, um, really cool other well-adapted, unique animals like the foosh that, um, (laughs) you know, I think that's that's an important part of the storytelling. I think that Madagascar is very important to talk about and having a lemur exhibit to do so is wonderful but there's all kinds of other stuff there there are these really cool weird iguanas there's all kinds of cool stuff like it's not just you know an island with a couple of lemurs running around on it um so yeah i think that is a great um communication tool i love the training aspect of this all sounds all right you've convinced me i'll take two i'll take two fusa no i I know again they do not make good pets folks um but no i hope that anyone listening to this um and if you are uh, you know feel free to reach out to me and i will connect you with uh elizabeth and Brittany, and um they can they can help you get your facility getting some fusa going because i think they are i will say just as a zoo fan they are always an animal I seek out when I have the ability to seek one out and I miss having one at Philly um, (laughs) just for the sake of like you said you know they'd be napping and then next thing you know shooting around the exhibit like like a wild animal Um, you know yeah very cool is there anything else that either of you would like to say about FUSA Um, I guess one thing that I always try to kind of I guess push messaging um, would just be that um, it's highly important to regard Madagascar as also a great place for biodiversity, but also that it is a place where humans live and that humans have to interact with. So it being one of the poorest countries in the world, we need to raise awareness for both um, animal and people in those areas and making sure that we balance that. And um, a great way to do that is to highlight Madagascar species and how they interact with people and how we can help um, with retaliation killings of FUSA or how we can help with deforestation and things like that. So I really think that um, it's not just a FUSA thing. It's kind of all over the place. But um, I always think that really connecting it back to where they're from is very important. So with Madagascar, with these awesome species, we have to remember that it's not just a floating island that you know, just lives these cool things. Like people live there, people have to coexist with these animals. And it's always really cool to highlight that and really humanize, you know, people that live with these animals instead of thinking of an animal as, oh, it's vulnerable. How could those people do that? It's, you know, it's a totally different world over there that we can't even imagine. So I always want to promote that and just have that be an understanding with um, the FUSA population being vulnerable, with lemurs being endangered. There's an entire picture that we like to paint with them. And we want to make sure that, you know, that's represented in exhibits as well. But they are a great, a great education tool, a great exhibit animal. They're awesome ambassadors for their species. So we're very, very pro FUSA, obviously, but um, there's a lot more to them than just a cool looking animal. They have a lot of potential. They have a lot of education opportunities. They have a lot more to them than just a cool animal to display. Absolutely. Yeah. I actually have an episode coming out soon before, before this one will be out that, um, is from Duke Lemur Center. It'll be my second one from there. Or as I guess you guys would call it, the, uh, the, the Duke Feeding Center. Um, <laughs> but, and it's, it's funny because I, I talked to my guests about, like, they spend a lot of time in, in Madagascar. And honestly, it was talking to them that even made me realize, like, oh, yeah, this is a place with, like, humans and government and, like, uh, like cities. And, you know, we, we talk about, um, 
all kinds of stuff. Um, they are they are a married lesbian couple, and um, we discuss what that's like on the island because, like, you know, it is a different country where things are a little different. And um, I never expected when I was like, oh, we're going to talk about lemurs to be going into the human population of Madagascar, but it exists and it's real and it impacts research and it impacts yeah. the livelihoods of these animals. And um, yeah, I think that's really important messaging. And like, again, if I was unaware of that fact as much time as I spend at zoos and looking at, you know, lemurs and, and FUSA and such, it's uh, yeah, I think that is really important messaging to get out there. That's that's great. That's awesome. Um, I, I often like to say so I volunteer for Red Panda Network and um, they do so much work on the human animal conflict stuff. Um, but it wasn't until I really started working with and learning from Red Panda Network that I understood how important it is to help humans when we help mm -hmm. animals and to connect with them and to make sure that that all of the stakeholders are represented in decision making and such. And um, again, as as a person who like went to a whole lot of zoos without having that understanding, I do think that is a place where messaging needs to continue to grow. And it's awesome that the Fouche can be something that can can help with that. I love that. That's really cool. Yeah, I think that most people think that field biologists out you know, in the field doing their research are only dealing with the animals. Um, but we've been fortunate enough here at Naples Zoo to have um, a good number of biologists come and do, um, you know, presentations for us and talks just for the staff, but also for the public. And one thing they always harp on is that like field biology and conservation biologists are really like people, people like the animal stuff is almost second. Like they have to be in the field learning how to work with the people before they can even you know, focus any of their attention practically on the wildlife that they're trying to conserve. Because if you don't have their buy-in, then you don't really have anything. Um, and I think it's just most people don't realize that. So it's interesting. <laughs> No, yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, are there any, like, uh, conservation organizations um, for, for FUSA? So there are, but they're wrapped up in lemur. So they're not necessarily straight FUSA. So trying to reach out to other entities to try to connect, uh, we do do a Madagascar project here at Blank Park Zoo um, that is working with Omaha as well. And she goes and does a lot of um, outreach to the people. So trying to connect with things like that. Um, basically, my big takeaway is if you are going to support like lemur conservation, you are also supporting FUSA conservation because they live in the same habitat. So it's kind of the same way that if you support giant pandas, you're also supporting their entire ecosystem. And those um, like charismatic megafauna are going to really bring, you know, a audience and they're going to be preserving those forests. So there's not a specific FUSA one that I found. Maybe Elizabeth has a different with the um, exposure from the Naples Zoo, but um, mostly they're kind of wrapped up in lemur conservation, which is awesome. The Lemur Conservation Center um, lemur conservation networks. And then the Duke lemur center is always a great um, resource for us as well. So um, I try to look at actual ones in Madagascar, but they really seem to focus on lemurs and how, um, cause they're used often for bush meat and things like that. So um, just trying to interact with that, but I'm not 100% on FUSA 
directly ones. Well, no, that's awesome, yeah. actually, because, you know, we all use the term umbrella species. And I feel like every time I ask about conservation stuff, it's always the umbrella that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool to hear. Like, this is a great example of like, if you want to help FUSA, go check out like our friends at the Lemur Conservation Foundation and such, you know, like they've been on the pod. They're great. They do amazing work. And you will also help out FUSA. And I love that so much. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, cool. (laughs) Awesome. No, I just wanted to make sure we weren't like missing, you know, (laughs) FUSA.org. I will say that, um, there are, um, biologists that have done a lot of research on FUSA. Um, and so it's, they just are not as, you know, FUSA is not as well known. So like that, that information is not as well known, but there are people dedicated to, um, learning about FUSA and doing research on them in the wild. And so... They do have champions out there. Awesome. They do. Yeah. Just not a direct organization, but it's awesome that the, you know, it all kind of comes together. Same thing. If you're helping out the people in Madagascar, you're going to be helping out the lemur population. You're going to be helping out the FUSA population, all of the, you know, the panther iguana or the panther chameleon, (laughs) the panther chameleons. (laughs) So you're going to kind of be helping everything all under one umbrella, like you mentioned before. Very cool. What um what is their um conservation status? They are currently listed as vulnerable with a decreasing population. Okay, very good. And um do you want to check your notes and see if there's anything else you want to say? <laughs> <laughs> um I did want to mention with the vulnerable status that um they are historically very hard to track. So we don't actually know how many FUSA are out there because they are so elusive. Um, I've seen 2,500 to, you know, probably 1,500 and they just have a very hard time tracking them because they are so unique and just, you know, running around and being awesome FUSA things. Um, Let me check my notes to see if there was anything amazing that I wanted to add as well. <laughs> Did I just hear you turn a page? Do you have pages of notes? Is that what I'm hearing? I have two pages of notes. Okay. I have two pages. I'm definitely not <laughs> judging you at all, question mark. No, that's very cool. I appreciate the preparedness. <laughs> um, I think we kind of I think we kind of got everything. Oh, just one thing that I wanted to mention is that they are a unique species. They are the only ones in the genus of Cryptoprocta. So they are kind of unique and rare in that situation. And then um, just that they can have up to two to four pups with breeding. So just wanted to mention that out there and that their breeding season is from March to May. So all right, <laughs> only two other things. Great job. So we got, we got breeding season and we've got that they are the only hidden anuses around. Um, which is actually a great transition because it's time for... It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Ron Safari Poop Story. Go ahead, Elizabeth, why don't you go first? Oh gosh, I've been trying to think of a poop story. Poop story? For a while. Um, I think last time I talked about the rhino poop that sloshed all down my leg once... Um, I do have a cool, well, it's not a gross poop story, poop story, but, um, when I first started working at Naples and I was working giraffe and 
it was Christmas Day, actually. I remember it and I have a video. I was raking up the giraffe poop in the yard and I looked over across the way and I see this tiny little giraffe turd like moving. It's like on its own going across the yard. And I was like, what the heck is going on? So I went over there to go check it out. And it was like a little like, um, what do they call those be- beetles? Like a dung beetle? Roll the poop. Like a dung beetle. Nice. <laughs> I know things about animals. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is what happens when you get into administration. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like losing all my knowledge. Um, it's been a very fast transition for you because you just yeah, right. In another year, it's going to be like so. I was I was cleaning up the poop of the tall ones, the ones with yeah, the nests, you know, the you know? spots, the camel leopards. What are they called? <laughs> my husband is always like you're the worst and he is a zookeeper he's like you're the worst zookeeper ever (laughs) because i'm constantly like what's that animal thing you know that thing with the animals and the feathers and you know whatever um so anyway there was like um i already forgot the name of it dung beetle (laughs) beetle. (laughs) this little giraffe heard was rolling across the um yard and i went over to investigate and this little dung beetle you know was rolling it with its hind legs and everything down into a little hole in the ground and i was like in florida really i didn't realize there's my like bad animals and coming in um but I was just amazed. I was like, that's the coolest thing. I've never seen that in person, only on TV. But it's clearly happening here, like in my own backyard, right in front of me. Um, and he took it down into his hole. And I was like, if we could like employ a hundred thousand dung beetles, then I wouldn't have to <laughs> right? write this out every day. <laughs> if only, right? They could work yeah. for you. It'd be amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. And also, after that story, I'm now even more confident that I could just go and become a sea lion trainer because apparently you just don't need knowledge. You don't need knowledge. I blame it on my children and the fact that, like, I have zero mental capacity right now. Fair. And I love uh, them. Uh, yes, yes, of course. And, and, and Brittany, go ahead. Um, so mine isn't, I guess, a poop story. Poop story. But a... Um, guts of fish story i will say (laughs) um so part of our route is that we also have magellantic penguins so um i was feeding them and they're just crazy like every time that you feed them they're just insane but um i'm sorry there's a cat there is a cat there is um i I just saw a tail tail. and it was just smacking your nose well she just started (laughs) yeah she just started meowing and i was like stop (laughs) um but so i was feeding them and some way that they took the fish, this like black thing fell from the sky and hit my arm. And it must've been just like the intestines or something. And I was like, where did this come from? Cause I'm looking up and I was like, I don't know how this trajectory happened. So uh, I was like, ew, this is kind of gross. And then it ended up in my hair as well. So then my, my coworkers like apologizing to me, trying to get it out. And I was like, it's fine. I'll just wash my hair. Like, it's cool. Like, it's fine. But I think that's the most recent gross thing that's happened to me. That's a good one. Um, Yeah. That's just, that's just probably like in the last month. I was like, if we go, we'll be here for an hour. If I talk about all the nasty (laughs) things that have happened to me as a zookeeper. Especially with marine mammals. Oh yeah. yeah. Just. Ugh, yeah. yeah being yeah. sneezed on too or like coughed up fish on yeah it's just like all right <laughs> that's hilarious awesome well thank you both so much for doing this you're welcome thank, thank you, you. <laughs> 
Thanks for allowing us to chat about this over so long. Yeah, thank you for having us because um, we were super nervous. <laughs> That's hilarious to me, but I appreciate it. All right. Oh, that was so much fun, y'all. I wish that you could hear the full conversation that we had after that. So I mentioned that we did some um, patron bonus audio, and it's it's really good stuff. But then even after that, I think um, the three of us just chatted for very long. It was very fun and very... Um, I don't know, just kind of personable. It was it was a good time. It was a really good time. And uh, I'm I'm really thankful to Elizabeth and Brittany for for being on the pod and sharing the word. Uh, and uh, I'm also thankful for my red panda level patrons, Laura Shank and Kristen Dickey. Uh, actually, that was Laura Shank's voice that you heard as the latest iteration of the poop story drop that I like to do. So uh, yeah, when when you're a red panda level patron, you get to do cool stuff like that. So there you have it, folks. Uh, I hope you enjoyed all of this. I hope that if you are somebody who works at or volunteers at a zoo, that you have been motivated to consider a foosh for your uh, for your collection. I think they're incredible animals, and um, it would really give the pod a lot of cred if, if this got some uh, some traction. So um, really, it's it's not about you or the guests. It's it's about me. So please consider getting a foosh and, and taking care of me. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But do consider them. They are wonderful uh yeah so that's all i have to say about that we'll be back with zoo news on friday and until then remember friends the word credits backwards is Steiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.